On this episode, I'm in the room with Scotty Smith discussing how to overcome the obstacles to a rich prayer life. Welcome to In the Room, episode number 11. I'm Ryan Hughley, and I'm the founding and lead pastor of Redemption Bible Church just outside Chicago. You can find me at ryanhughley.com and also on Twitter and Instagram at at ryanhughley. That's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. The goal of In the Room is simple. I want to bring you into the room for conversations with pastors, authors, and artists. Interesting conversations with interesting people about interesting subject matter. This week, I'm in the room with Scotty Smith. He's an author, a pastor, and a professor. I first came in contact with Scotty on Twitter and I've been continually blessed by his humility, his encouragement, and his commitment to the gospel. Scotty is especially helpful on the topic of prayer. In our conversation, we discuss why prayer is necessary, why we struggle with it so much, and how we can overcome some of the obstacles to a rich prayer life. Scotty's a special guy, and I'm thankful for my time with him. So find a little bit of space in the midst of everything you have going on right now, and come on in the room for my conversation with Scotty Smith. Well, Scotty, thanks so much for taking the time uh, to be on In the Room. I really appreciate it. And uh, a lot of people listening probably know who you are from uh, Twitter or the books that you've written. Um, But uh, for those that don't know, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about who you are? Where are you from originally? Well, my accent will give me away pretty quick, but I am from the great state of North Carolina. Okay. My wife and I both grew up in the central part of that state. My wife's from Greensboro. I'm from a little town of 8,000 people called Graham, halfway between Greensboro and Chapel Hill. So lived uh, there most of our lives, lived in Nashville now for the last 35 years. So we are we are Tennessee transplants from North Carolina and we'll probably be buried here. But uh, that's where that's where these wonderful redneck intonations come from. <laughs> okay. And are you were you raised in a Christian home? Grew up in what I call neither a conservative or liberal church, just a Southern church. Okay. So that kind of describes the enculturation. Uh, definitely have faith in my family story. My mom was a believer and my dad as well, whose funeral I preached a couple of years ago. I definitely believe he died in Christ, but we were not a family shaped by the gospel, but by good Southern culture of going to church people that try to do the right thing, but maybe never necessarily think about the gospel. Yeah. And so when did you come to faith? What was that journey like for you? Senior in high school, I was playing keyboards in a rhythm and blues band, grew up in a culture. All kinds of awesome. Which is all kind of fun. And uh, so a good friend of mine came to Christ through fellowship Fellowship Christian Athletes, and then he drug me to a Billy Graham movie, March of 1968. Wow. So I date myself. I'm a boomer. I will turn 65 in a matter of three weeks, February 1st. But uh, it was at a Billy Graham movie, The Restless Ones, that I came to Christ. Wow. Okay. And so then how did you end up in ministry? Yeah. Well, that's a good question, too. I... um, immediately began to be discipled by a very radical guy that got kicked out of Asbury Seminary, who was a missionary kid. Good storyline there. He started working in our YMCA in Burlington, started discipling about 25 of us. Uh, Spring of 68, took us on our first mission trip that summer to Mexico. And uh, that put a bug in my heart for a larger story to do life. However, I started University of North Carolina fall of 68, thought I was going into pharmacy, but felt an internal call to ministry freshman year, told God I would never go to seminary or be a pastor, and 
he wrote the rest of the story. Yeah. And so what, so I know that you, you, uh, you founded Christ community in Franklin yes. and, but you're not currently on staff there anymore. Correct. That you transitioned no. that. Yeah. Yeah. Very quickly came to Nashville, August of 79 youth pastor at first Pres Nashville. Then in 81 senior pastor there and I were called to plant what became Christ Presbyterian church, a PCA church. 86 is when they sent me out to plant Christ Community. Did that for 26 years. Now I'm on staff as teacher in residence at one of our daughter churches, West End Community Church up in Nashville. Okay. So are you still preaching then on a regular basis? I am there. I travel about 25% of the time, adjunct faculty at five different seminaries. So I travel around some, but uh, do teach here and uh, curate the education piece of our Nashville Fellows Program, but do preach, teach, and uh, help uh, execute the liturgy here at West End. Well, that's awesome. Well, one of the things that I know that you're known for, that you've written a lot about, and that you model so faithfully on the Gospel Coalition's uh, website through your blog and everything has been uh, prayer. And so I'd really like to spend some time talking to you about that. I think that um, it's vital to the Christian life. It is uh, discouraging for many, many Christians. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I thought it'd be really fruitful if we could just talk with you about that. So if we could start, I, I would love to just hear your heart for prayer yeah. and and why do you think that prayer is so necessary? I mean, clearly we have commands in scripture uh, to pray. Uh, commands don't really take us very far by way of motivation. So why do you think prayer is so necessary? Well, but part of my vital part of my story was when I went to Westminster Seminary, Ryan, it's where I met the man that became my spiritual father for 21 years named Jack Miller. Okay. And I think the shift from more of a moralistic, legalistic, pragmatic orientation towards the spiritual disciplines changed radically when I uh, began to walk with Jack. Jack, uh, also a recovering Pharisee, demonstrated to me that to come alive to the theology of grace frees us, even compels us to a life of really fellowshipping with our Father. So I got to watch a man, Ryan, live out before me a love for prayer that I'd never seen before. So anything about me that's helpful to anybody else with regard to prayer and praying, man, I immediately have the joy of saying, I saw a man, Jack Miller, be transformed by the gospel so that there's nothing he would rather do than to fellowship with his heavenly father. And out of that, uh, you know, just reposition my understanding of intercession of what prayer is all about. Uh, prayer now has become for me now for decades, just the environment where the gospel goes deeper and where I simply learn, learn how to pray God's story for myself and the nations. Well, what was it about specifically about your relationship with him. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. So it, so clearly there was uh, this move of grace on your heart and it changed right. the way that you viewed all the disciplines, but there was something right. about his example yeah. and his practice of prayer that was very compelling for you. I mean, is there anything that you can put your finger on that was, I, I just have, think, I oh, mean, what yeah. was it about it? I can use all fingers, by the way. Okay. So many fingers to put on. Now, Jack, just imagine having a professor in seminary uh, who his opening prayer was as enriching as his lectures. In other words, just, you know, um, a, a lot of us can think of people that intrigue us or something about them that you would say, you, you, 
you seem to know and love God in a way that my heart longs to connect with him. So what Jack modeled, but then as my advisor, Ryan, his commitment to pray with me and for me, hmm. uh, he, being on mission trips with him around the world, seeing how for Jack, literally, uh, prayer became that rocket fuel of the heart that says, here's the promises of God that we don't claim. They claim us. It's good. And, and as we live out together uh, in the environment that grace alone can create, then, um, then being with the Lord becomes our meat and bread. So watching Jack, having Jack pray for me, having him have me pray for him. I think one of the remarkable things was to watch my spiritual father model weakness and acknowledging he needs the prayers of his sons and daughters in the faith as much as we need his prayers. So, I mean, I got the got the graduate school of watching a man turned upside down by the gospel who became the most uh, amazing, joyful prayer uh, prayer I've ever seen. Hmm. Well, I, I think that cognitively, all Christians have this sort of understanding that prayer is valuable sure. and that we should be people who pray. But like, even despite that, I don't yeah. know very many Christians that wouldn't say that they struggle with prayer. And I was even thinking oh, and praying this morning and I, I just feel like there is um, almost nothing in my life that the enemy opposes more than my prayer yes. life. And, and I just like, like nine, every once in a while, like one out of 10 times, I feel drawn into a time of like where I, I just, I long to pray, but nine times yes. out of 10, I feel like there's a headwind, um, yeah. in that it, it's, it's like a, <laughs> I have to make a disciplined cognitive decision. I, I'm going to take time yeah. to devote to prayer. So why is it that you think that we have this yeah. understanding, but that so many of us yeah. still struggle with it? Well, two, three things come to mind and I go back to Jack. The big shift that happened for me with Jack was to realize that uh, what you said earlier, Ryan, obviously the king of darkness is going to resist this part of our heart being developed. So we got to know there's warfare going on from my heart, uh, not hocusy pocusy stuff, but the reality that, um, you know, by nature, I'm allergic to grace, but by calling also, there is a force that's standing against me cultivating intimacy with the father. Yeah. So got these things going, but also... Uh, for a lot of us, uh, our image of God that we carry around in our heart uh, determines whether or not I want to be with this one yeah. or whether I ah, take it or leave it. And I, I watched Jack uh, model, and I became convinced theologically that we have a God that's pursuing us, that enjoys us, delights in us. And uh, I find myself less resistant to that. Ryan, as I'm really alive to a proper theology of just who the Lord wants us to know who he is. Yeah. Well, one, I know that you wrote a book a while back. It was a devotional really about gospel centered prayer yeah. and the word gospel has become an adjective in so many yes. senses and <laughs> most um, hyphenated word, word in the world. So, yeah, yes. I, I believe so. And, and I think that that's not, obviously that's not always bad, but it can cloud sure. the significance of the yeah. word. And so tell, tell me a little bit about what does the gospel have to do with prayer? Yeah. So when I think of the gospel, I think of three primary elements and uh, living in Music City, USA, this, this metaphor works for us here. Uh, think of the gospel as lyric, music, and dance, meaning this. Uh, the theology of the gospel, of course, uh, opens me up to everything that God has done in Christ for us that has a compelling 
freeing reality. So I want to, um, you know, a gospel-centered praying is going to start with a really good theology. What's the what's the story the Bible's actually telling? The music is watching that wing its way into my heart so that theology becomes doxology. And the gospel, because of the sheer liberating force that it is, always is going to take me outside of myself. So it's why, you know, I learned from Jack that uh, to, to be someone for whom grace is becoming profoundly healing and liberating, that will connect me with what God is doing in my community in the world which of course is the overflow of prayer. So the gospel informs, it empowers, and it focuses where these hearts go. And, uh, and this is so important, Ryan, and in a relational way, meaning this, I think I finally have some clue about what Paul is talking about when he says pray without ceasing. Okay. You know, uh, as a, as a, you know, a, a guy that, suffered under the weight of performance-based spirituality. I used to think, okay, maybe I need to read uh, David Brainer and Luther's commentary and, yes, yeah, start my day with three hours of prayer. Well, that's not going to work for this old ADD boy very well. <laughs> yeah. But to, but to realize that this really is a, an ongoing relationship, and and even in every relationship we can think of with our wives, our kids, there's intentional time of time of focus. And then there's just ongoing conversation. So I think the gospel shows us because it concerns the whole of life that um, we're, we're called to learn to commune with God wherever we are and in a far more natural way. Yeah. And, and so, what would you say, like, what, what does that have to do with, what does that do to the guilt that we feel? feel? Oh, yeah. Uh, because we, you know, so many, um, so many people feel so much. I just like, I, any, yeah. anytime I've ever stood up on a Sunday to preach on prayer, yeah. uh, I have to immediately give this disclaimer. Like my goal is not to make you feel guilty. Cause you can just right. see it on people's faces. There Absolutely. are a few things that we feel more guilt about than, than the fact that we don't commune with the father the way that we should. So right. what does the gospel have to do with our guilt in prayer? And, and what would you tell to people to combat guilt in prayer in general? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think a lot of it has to do back with this, a good theology of prayer. Prayer merits me nothing. There is nothing born out of the more of praying uh, with regard to putting a bigger smile on God's face. We, we, again, let's face it. A lot of times we think if I have seven days of good quiet times, the possibility of having less flat tires on the interstate increases. <laughs> yeah. So we got, we got all this crazy junk in us, Ryan, that just assumes do more, try harder, makes God happier. So we really need back to that understanding. Look, my acceptance with God, His delight in me is completely a done deal. My enjoyment of that, however, is going to be, there's going to be some uh, relationship between some intentionality with spending time with Him. So the guilt goes away because Christ has died for our prayerlessness as much as our chronic masturbation, right? That's so we're, yeah. we are a, we're a forgiven people, and therefore I'm free to do the right thing with a motivation that says, I actually enjoy this. I mean, when I think about my wife, Darlene, and I've been married almost 43 years, there, there is an enjoyment that comes from connecting with her that I know when we're connected and when we're not. Yep. And the, co the connection is not something I earn, but there's a benefit of simply saying, let's slow down enough to be together. Yeah. And, and so the guilt, I think, um, has got to go to the curb of understanding 
it's God that's seeking my fellowship. And, and I've got to keep hearing of that all the time because uh, back to what I said a moment ago, we are allergic to the gospel. We're allergic to grace. So we still assume God has some kind of doghouse he puts us in because we simply don't do enough. So we hide out and avoid the very one that says, I just want to be with you. I'm not going to beat you up with a bunch of new rules. Yeah. I want to tell you how much I love you. And out of that, let's do life together. That's so encouraging. Um, I, I would love to hear a little bit about <clears throat> just what your prayer life has looked, looked like seasonally. You know, so you're, oh, yeah. you said you're, you're approaching 65. One, yes. one thing I've noticed about my, my church is filled with primarily young families. And so yeah. we have a lot of parents with very little kids, a lot of stay-at-home moms, a lot of parents figuring out how to just survive, much less commune with God on a, yes. uh, in a rich way on a daily basis. And one yeah. of the things that I've noticed is it seems to me that every book that's written on prayer is written by like an old guy with no little kids running around anymore. <laughs> that's so true. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm just wondering, I, I think uh, uh, two, twofold, how would you encourage, especially people yeah. in that season of life where there's just constantly someone running around your legs and very yeah. little quiet in your life? And then maybe just tell that out of what is your life? Because you, you're a father. And how yes. many kids do you have? Yeah, two grown ones and two grandsons. So awesome. I'm a grand All right, grand so you still get too, it. So. I do guess. So, the, uh, so what is that? How what does that look like? So, when you had little kids yeah, to yeah. to now, does it change? Like, what 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 is what is how has prayer changed seasonally for you? That's a great question. Well, let me say that one of the first things I read that helped free me from my guilt was a little classic book called "Practicing the Presence of God" by Brother Lawrence. Maybe yep. you remember that story of a monk whose duty in the monastery was to work in the kitchen and clean the big pots. And he tells a story of learning to enjoy God's presence and the, and the crazy of the kitchen cleaning pots so that he began to resent when the chapel bell rang for formal praying. And just that more than metaphor, that example of, ha, huh, there's a clever thought. You mean I don't really have to just think a prayer is, when will I find that hour to get completely alone and offline? Now, those times are important. But as I began to study and see even in Jack Miller's life, look, this, okay, yeah, sometimes you pray the best when you got kids clawing all over you because you're thinking, God, give me grace to give some of my heart to these kids as I'm trying to attack my to-do list. So to see the full stretch of prayer that is everything from little more than help me Jesus, yeah. which is a profound prayer, totally, to the seasons when we really would say, all right, um, you know, uh, for instance, uh, some of my hobbies are I love to fish. I love photography. Uh, I, I, I tend to make time for some stuff I enjoy, right? So uh, back to this theme of as I know, as I'm convinced in the gospel of the father that wants to be with me, I, I will make some margin for that even when I have grandkids or kids. So there's a flow of discipline with the right motivation. There is getting over these crazy images of what a prayer warrior looks like. Yeah. We all suffer under the mantra of the prayer warrior who's got worn out uh, genes because they're on their knees all the time. Right. Prayer is, as our dear English Puritans refer to, it seems kind of like an odd image, but the Puritans love to talk about ongoing ejaculatory prayer, which, mm -hmm. you know, kind of a, that let that image run with you there for a while, yeah. but they meant all day long, think about um, that, that 
good, good prayer is simply me responding to the one that's pursuing me. If that means remembering to thank God for my food, if it's uh, reeling in a 16-inch brown trout, thanking God that he put the dots on that fish, if it's uh, enjoying the sport of a great football game in the midst of even, I was watching that game last night, Ohio State and Oregon, thinking, you know, it's awesome to watch athletes do yeah. with it. God, thank you for the not phenomenon of sport. Yeah. So if, if my vision of the gospel is God cares about every aspect of life, then I don't compartmentalize it. it prayer doesn't become held hostage to a false view of piety that assumes it's got to be candles and uh, Bill Gaither singing, He Touched Me in the Background. Yeah. It's the whole of life. Yeah, totally. I do. We have that. <clears throat> we, you tend to have these, I at least have these, these pictures of what, what the great, like my grandmother uh, is someone that I would consider a prayer warrior yeah. for sure. I mean, she worked in a house of prayer in the Middle East for a lot of years. Yeah. And I mean, she's the kind of person that, you know, wakes up and, and I mean, we'll spend hours upwards oh, of yeah. eight hours in prayer. And Amazing. then, and we allow that to be I've allowed that to be the standard. Like oh, that, yeah. that's what real prayer looks like. And yeah. I was preaching through the book of James and I read in a commentary that one of the, the this is obviously not in the Bible, but uh, a piece of church uh, history that they, he had a, uh, a nickname of being called camel knees because he was known for being someone yes. who spent so much time on his knees in prayer. And yes. I think that, that even comparing ourselves to that and allowing that to be the standard can just be so... Oh. Devastating because it's just discouraging. So you end up it, praying not at yes. all. Yeah, exactly. That skews everything. And thank God for those people that have that calling. Absolutely. And I found the more I've met some of those people, they don't see themselves as the model for everybody else. Yeah. That's their life. That's their calling. Thank God for it. But the more we can see, you know, uh, prayer as first and foremost through the gospel, fellowshipping with the triune God, entering in to his story, to change the world, to make all things new through Jesus, and that it concerns every area of life, then, then we're liberated to think far more about this really is conversation. I'm not talking God into anything. I'm not getting his attention. I'm not earning anything by it. I am enjoying the fact that here is the God that is uh, redeeming his people from the nations, uh, and using broken men and women like me uh, and my uh, praying and my loving uh, as a part of the unfolding of that story. It's just yeah. so doggone freeing when we move into that perspective. I don't know about you, but I hate long ads in the middle of a good podcast I'm enjoying, so I'm going to keep this short. I am unashamedly committed to getting this podcast into as many ears as possible, and for that, I need your help. iTunes is the primary place I drive the podcast, and your reviews help increase our visibility there. So do me a favor. If you're enjoying this episode, will you take 60 seconds, log on to iTunes, and leave a short review? That's it. Every review makes a huge impact. I promised I'd keep this short, so thanks for your support, and now back to the conversation. How do you, uh, I was just thinking about, it, it seems like <clears throat> a lot of the writing that I've seen on prayer tends to err to one of two extremes, 
where prayer is uh, ex- almost exclusively talked as, uh, as, as a relational communion component. Yes. It's about being yes. with God. Right. And then on the other extreme, you have this sort of wonky, like, like God's a divine vending machine and my prayers yeah, exactly. are these coins that I put in. Right. And he, but <clears throat> there is a tension in the yes. Bible in that we see yes. the relational component and we see that yes. God does stuff when we yes. pray. Absolutely. So how do you live in that? How yeah. do you not become one of those people that lives on one side or the right. other? I really love people that live in the tension because I think the uh, Bible's yeah, yeah. filled with that. So how do you, what yeah. do you think about that? Well, I, to me, it goes back to um, uh, an understanding of the gospel because the gospel commends and commands this way of life. That's good. Uh, I, uh, I don't understand how prayer relates to God's sovereignty. I simply know that a sovereign God delights to use our praying as a part of the unfolding of a story. I, I love the paradox of that. I pray because I know God has told me he enjoys it and he enjoys be in it. And uh, so it, it is an irresolvable tension. And it's, I think it's a part of the already and the not yet of, yeah. of sitting in the reality of when uh, I'm convinced of this father and his love for me. And he says, I want you to do this because it matters. Then it's not just shut up and do it. It's okay. I have every reason to trust you. So I am going to commune with you, but I am going to pray for my kids. I'm going to yeah. pray for my city uh, because you commend it and command it. Uh, I think what's helpful to some of us, Ryan, is to look at better examples of those that can teach on that. I mentioned Jack Miller. His son, Paul Miller, wrote a great book on oh, prayer. Yeah. Very popular book. So that, good. I think Paul captures that. And you can yep. see in Paul, his father's praying life. I think uh, Tim Keller's new book on prayer is a remarkable study of everything you just mentioned. Tim looks at the classic, you know, desert monks who bring a devotional dimension to communing with God, but also shows us that, look, it's not pragmatic. It's not legalistic to say the Lord attaches the unfolding of his story to his people that pray individually and corporately. So That's good. I just know it all fits together and I'm trying yeah. to enjoy both of it. Yeah. So. Well, let's, I want to talk about mode a little bit because there are various ways that we can express prayer. And, uh, and I think about just the various, see, I've had seasons where my, the richest expression prayer took was through journaling or was through, you know, prayer walks and praying out loud or, you know, in my study, praying a list. And so I just, I wonder as I, I was asking around if people had, you know, what, what are common questions? One of the things that people really seem to want to know is, is like, is there a right way? Is there a, or, or are all of these modes equally valid? And, and I think like yeah. that, that reveals this whole, like that prayers, this thing that we're trying to conquer and yeah. we miss the heart of it sometimes in the yeah. question, but there's some sincerity in people yeah. genuinely, they want to commune with God correctly, if you yes. will. Yeah. And, uh, and so what, what do you think about that? All the modes are valid. What, what is it? What, what's the ideal? Well, well, I think I think that um, I mean it's, it's hard to improve upon the acrostic ACTS. Most of us okay. have learned that one a long time ago, but for those of us that maybe that are new to this uh, nice word that summarizes the dimensions of praying by which we can talk about modes, ACTS: adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. So I think before we talk mode, the more we look at the, the environment. So That's adoration good. coming alive. Adoration is always responding to God's initiative. Adoration is my heart saying yes to the outrageous dimensions of God's love for us individually and corporately in Christ. Uh, When that's in place, 
then confession becomes not, uh oh, I, I, God, I hate to tell you, but there I go again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan, you and I both know that word for confession. In the Greek is homologeo, it means to say the same thing as. So confession becomes a way of me acknowledging what God already knows about me. And that's so freeing to say it's not guilt and shame. It's thank you. You know all this and more, Father. But because yeah. you're worthy of my love, I want you to know I know what you know. And so that proper profile, the thanksgiving, of course, just the overwhelming heart of gratitude for what God has done in Christ for us. But what he's doing in the world, the supplication, when that's forth, then we automatically, you know, it keeps us from turning into the prayer as a way of manipulating a reluctant God. And it also keeps us away from, I've done all my praying just when I've done adoration. It's just a way that shows us uh, if you were like uh, if we were going to the Nashville Symphony to hear a great orchestra, they're playing from an incredibly well structured overture that's leading me through these dimensions. The mode is therefore is going to involve everything I would think about uh, in terms of, of of how those very things can be realized. I don't adore my wife by simply watching the football game last night and say, "Sweetheart, I really love you." Right? Yeah. So it makes some time for being alone but also adore the Lord as he t- commands in the midst of his creation. You know, so you mentioned prayer walks. Uh, I mean, really every, every mode absolutely is appropriate. I think that, however, what Acts does, it says, you know, mode is secondary to the meaning of it. That's good. And, and, and if, if, cause Every mode works as long as it's thinking in terms of why did God give us this great gift? Again, individually and collectively. And that's something I really want to underscore because a lot of our best praying is going to happen not just when we're by ourselves, but when we are collectively gathered as a people of God. Yeah. I'm, I, I know one of the things I've noticed that a lot of your blog posts at the Gospel Coalition um, are written prayers. Yes. And they're beautiful. And so I'm, yeah. I'm just like, I'm, I, why do you do that? Yeah. So, and, and, and to look at those, you'll also notice um, I will vacillate between first person and, and uh, plural pronouns because I want from my heart to be involved in community that really acknowledges here are common themes and issues that we need to be corporately aware of, even as... Uh, this walk with Christ is not private, but it is personal. So the I. Now, the reason why I do that, first of all, I backed into that discipline years ago, never intended to be a prayer blogger. Think what an arrogant thing that someone would start thinking, I'm the prayer guy, you know. Uh, (laughs) I've never thought that about you, just so you know. Instead of hear me roar, hear me pray. That's right. Self-serving thing. But I actually started uh, at a season of, of really of, uh, and you know this, Ryan, well, sometimes we can confuse our callings. We can confuse preaching with communing. And we enjoy our preaching, right? We enjoy yeah. ministry. But I hit one of those ruts where I began to realize just me and Jesus aren't communing as well as ministry is rocking right now. So out of a dry spell, uh, I started getting up earlier than usual. And because I am pretty dang... Uh, attention deficient, I sat down, started reading through a scripture and really just writing what occurred to me out of the meditation of that portion of word, turned it into a prayer. Next thing I know, I think it was a couple of days that I found, you know what? I think I got a friend struggling with depression. I think I'm just going to send 
what was meaningful to me this morning to him. And then, you know, you start getting these, can I pass this on to someone? Yeah. So the prayer blogging emerged out of number one, a weak, dry pastor really needing to jumpstart his own communion with the Lord out of which, you know, has, has developed now these three going on to four years of a rhythm now that's become very dear to me of getting up early in the morning. Uh, and, uh, uh, that morning, asking the Lord to, to quicken my heart to my own need or to remind me of the community I'm walking with and what needs are all around me and to lead me to a portion of scripture that I'll meditate upon and then pray back to the Lord wearing the, wearing the lens of the gospel. So started out of my own heart sucking out of dryness in ministry, yeah, needing a new fresh way. And now it's become, uh, you know, because I guess I am undisciplined enough to know that it is helpful to some people that keeps me, you know, going and, and, uh, and, and inevitably it seems like every day, somebody somewhere in the world will say, Scotty, you helped me give expression to something I was thinking and did not know how to say. Yeah. So that's encouraging. Totally. But every yeah. one of the, every one of those prayers reveals my own brokenness. Okay. And you mentioned how it flows out of your own meditation on the word. Yes. And, and I right. know one of the things that I've found fruitful at, uh, at, in multiple seasons of life has been to pray scripture. And yes. so I'm, I'm wondering how would you, what role should that play in our lives? How would you encourage someone to take some steps in that just practically? Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. Every one of those prayers is literally doing just that, praying back to the Lord what I see in that scripture. So, and and what I found was, Ryan, that was one of the ways I could stay focused during my Bible reading. Uh, I'd got into that habit of assuming uh, you want to be reading about four chapters a day. I'm not sure where that magic quadrant dropped down out of the sky. Yeah. But uh, nonetheless, because I am prone to wander, when I started to say, look, rather, rather than reading a bunch here, read, think, meditate, and pray back, say back to the Lord or write out, you know, on your computer or with a longhand, what's, what's emerging in that text? And any of us can start there because, uh, especially the more we learn to have the discipline of seeing Jesus in scripture as the main hero, then we're going to come to the point of not looking for rules. We're going to come looking for Jesus. And that is going to invariably connect us with his work for us. So praying scripture just became a great way of deepening my Bible study, but also seeing theology become doxology, uh, informed mind leading to an inflamed heart. Well, I, th I think that um, pa <clears throat> pastors definitely have a role to play in this whole thing. I mean, you had a spiritual father, yes. and Jack Miller, who yep. clearly was very influential in lighting a fire in your heart. God really Big used time. him. Yep. And so how would you encourage uh, pastors and ministry leaders who, you know, are listening to turn up or increase the prayer yeah. temperature in their church? Are there, are there ways yeah. that we can go about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I think one of the key ways is, uh, you know, Spurgeon once said that if he were given the choice of preaching the sermon or praying the pastoral prayer, he would choose a pastoral prayer. So I think, Ryan, one of the things we can do is, uh, is give attention to our heart as we pray in the context of corporate worship. And especially uh, as I pray as a pastor, am I making it clear that nobody needs the gospel more than me in the room? You know, there's something about our prayer life that will reveal uh, what we're thinking about, what we are aware of. So I think, uh, number one, um, how a pastor prayers, prays, or even how a worship leader prays in the context of the service. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's not even 
so much writing that out to make it look like I'm a needy person. Live close enough with Jesus so that you know That's right. what a sh- schmuck you are, that yeah. you need grace today. Yeah. But I think also building our services of worship where prayer becomes more a prominent part, you know, uh, individually, collectively, uh, knowing enough what's going on in the community to pray for our city where we are, where we are wanting to live out the good news of the gospel. Uh, I think also one of the things we did that I learned from uh, Jack Miller was, let's say for we pastors, we who are the stewards of the meeting times of staff and deacons and elders, we started um, a rhythm with our elders of having two meetings a month, one just for prayer and fellowship and encouraging each other and no business could be brought up. So we figured if we as a leadership culture were really we're marking our DNA with a love for communing with Christ and being with each other in the gospel, confessing our sins together, praying for each other. Surely that would impact, impact the business meeting later in the month. Yeah. So there's an in intentionality and all born out of more wanting to mine the riches of the gospel that would fuel all of that. So yeah, that's st- good. Kind of stuff we can do like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, one of the things that we do on in the room is uh, I put out the day before uh, people I'm going to be talking with and I field questions. Oh, yeah. And so we had a couple of, obviously, with the topic of prayer, we had a good number of questions come in. And so I want to put a couple and, of these to and you. And by the way, yeah. by the way, Adam and Eve did have a belly button. So, uh, <laughs> oh, good. You saw so, that, so huh? my, my friend Pete Collins, he's a professional photographer. Yeah, he uh, he, he baited us with that. One. Okay, so, good. That was so. a great one. Because um, where else would they collect their uh, lint, right? That's you right. They have a belly button to have. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Uh, So uh, Allison Goral on Facebook, she asked, uh, when you keep praying the same prayer over and over, how does one discern if God is answering no or if he's saying I'll answer later? Well, you know, I I love the way Allison even framed that question because one of the freeing things about the gospel is getting to know our Father through prayer is that we see God has a lot richer vocabulary than simply yes or no. Yeah, There's yes, no, maybe, not yet, ain't telling you, hang in there, uh, silence. Yeah. So uh, I think a part of the response would be, uh, the more I know God is my Father, the more I trust that He is always answering prayer. But an answered prayer is not always yes. Uh I, you know, you and I both have lived long enough and me much longer than you, probably twice as long as you to know there. Sometimes only in hindsight, can you say, God, thank you for not giving me a yes on that one there. Absolutely. Thank you for not letting me twist your arm into being compliant. So, but there are things I've been praying about for 40 years that I'm not thinking God uh, owes me a yes, but there's things I know this is good to be praying for. I yeah. want to pray for the heart of my children. I yeah. want to pray, and I am praying for. I'm praying for the new heaven and new earth. I can't lose on that one. That that yeah. that, that puppy's coming in at some point. That's so, right. Uh, praying, filling my heart with a vision of how grand that's going to be. So uh, that's great. So so it's just that lifestyle. Yeah. Okay. Carson Conover on Facebook asks, "What place has the Lord's Prayer had in your spiritual formation?" That's an amazing, I mean, I've always been really struck by the fact that the disciples never asked Jesus how to preach, um, but there was something about his prayer life that they were like, you got to, how do we get onto that? And and what what a great question. Lord's Prayer has been huge because, uh, because I am highly distractible to have a prayer like that, that says, look at the things that Jesus would have us pray about the things he prays about. So starting with the identity of God as Father, moving through this whole corpus of, of 
things that concern the kingdom. And so uh, it's had a big place in my life and uh, of shaping the rhythms and uh, the themes, just as John 17 has in terms of the uh, upper room discourse prayer, the uh, the Lord's prayer as we watch him praying for our unity, as we watch him praying for our joy, as we watch him praying for the word's role in our lives. So anytime I read in scripture, Jesus intentionally teaching on prayer or modeling prayer. It's been a huge part of my um, shaping the way I think about praying. Yeah. Uh, Ryan O'Malley on Twitter asks, what advice would you give to young pastors on personal prayer life? Yeah. I think, uh, uh, number one, do it. Yeah. <laughs> that but, was a good one. But, but do it along the way that we've been talking about here. Um, get get over first of all get over the notion that prayer is primarily supplication right get over the notion that it's primarily asking mode uh prayer is primarily first of all receiving mode that it can be everything else me receiving god's commitment to expand the quarters of my heart to see more of the beauty of jesus and more of just who he is so uh build a rhythm uh you know and for someone like that asking that question, it's why some of these good books like Keller's new book on prayer or Paul Miller's book on a praying life can maybe debunk some of the stereotypes, but then uh, invite to new ways of experimenting, even given personality. Because that, that's another thing, Ryan, I found that uh, it's not that our Myers-Briggs profile rules anything, but there are personalities and styles. There are some people that are going to cultivate a lifestyle of... Uh, a pray, prayer walking with mm-hmm. more efficiency than simply being in that closet. The prayer walk is their closet. They're yeah. learning uh, just that lifestyle. So uh, but, I know for uh, me, like praying out loud has been really helpful. My my uh, yes. my mind doesn't. Yes. If, I mean, if your mind wanders when you pray yes. out loud, then you need meds or something else to exactly control right. what's going on. That's so very good. That's uh, been really helpful for me. When anytime I try to pray silently. I just find that that's, that's difficult for me. But I think that your word about personality is really, really important and often overlooked one. I agree very much. So I think a pastor accepting his personality and uh, building a lifestyle of just communing with the Lord. Think of it far more of communion than simply anything else. It's good. Uh, Derek Morris on Twitter asks, is there, you mentioned the acts pattern yes. of prayer, but he asks, is there a pattern in your prayers that you have found better stirs your affections for the Lord? Well, Scripture for me, first and foremost, is always uh, the thing that stirs my affections more than anything else. And especially uh, having discovered some time ago, fortunately, you know, uh, to pray with the lens of the gospel on. I am looking for how any portion of scripture is going to direct my heart towards Jesus. So, uh, so uh, just the scripture itself, and, and maybe in that starting um, with the book of Psalms, because the Psalter becomes this incredibly freeing means by which I could say, uh, to have my affections stirred is not always just my glad affections. If I need to be yeah. in lamenting mode, you know, the, the, to look at the Bible, how it gives me permission to say, Lord, right now, my life in this world sucks, but I want to bring the argument to you That's and right. to see that what's modeled in Scripture, it's why Job was commended in the book of Job more than his uh, fourth member of the Trinity friends that tried to fix him. Yeah. So uh, the reality, the affections being everything from the depths of my despair to the unleashing unleashing of the great delight that's locked into my soul. So yeah, uh, yeah the Bi- the Bible is hugely important. Yeah. But then one more thing I would mention, uh, just more the discipline of wanting to pray with other people. I mean, praying with Jack 
helped me as much as anything. And my wife from, uh, from our earliest year and first year of marriage on have always been able to pray together. So I say to couples as much as possible, learn to pray for your spouse and, uh, uh, some real breakthroughs happen there when you can be that humble. I mean, we can be so intimate with our bodies. Why not be intimate with our praying? And yeah. uh, so anyway, so those are some initial thoughts. That's good. I, I suck at praying with my wife. Yeah. I'll, just, I'll just throw that out there in case anyone's feeling that they're alone in that. It's, it's well, always been difficult for me. Well, and, and for Darlene and I, you know, I think what we realized, first of all, when we got married, we had no clue what two broken people we were. So I think we learned to pray together, less out of guilt, more out of, you know, I really need Jesus. Will you pray for me right now? So yeah. we started the discipline of simply having the other pray for the other, as opposed to the couple that prays an hour together, you know, right. goes Whatever on the great like. things together. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Hillary, last one, Hillary Bullock uh, asks on Twitter about the role of prayer and decision-making, mm. which I think is a common one Christians have. And so her question's kind of multifold, but how, how do we hear from God in yeah. prayer? How do we determine what is and isn't godly direction? How do we decide what role does prayer play in our decision-making? Yeah, I think, I think it was John Stott. who was one of my early mentors before God decided to take him to heaven. John Stott once said, you know, and, he, and this wasn't... Um, prophetic, it was just wise. He said, probably as much as 80% of the will of God is revealed in the scripture to us. Big time. So, so when we think about uh, decision-making and prayer, wow, the, you know, the more Bible I know, the more I'm exposed to the mind and heart of scripture. Wow, that sure helps my praying for decisions quickly. Some things I don't have to pray about. I don't have to pray about if I'm supposed to marry a non-Christian, you know? That's right. Yeah, some, stuff, some stuff pretty well lined up there for me. But I think... Uh, Decision-making and praying and the will of God, you know, I pray with my Bible open when it comes to making decisions. I pray with regard to knowing the peace of Christ is the most subjective aspect of discerning the will of God, but it matters. I pray with regard to the will of God, investing myself, listening to friends that I want to pray for me about decisions. So yeah. there's, there's just a lot of elements that I think the Bible helps us understand about the will of God. And lastly, I think I would say, at least where I land is, I think now of praying with regard to making decisions, thinking more of the will of God in many ways, more as a circle than a definite point. That's right. It's So the Bible would help me know, let's say with regard to a spouse, the kind of spouse I need to be looking for rather than is it Billy, Ted, Jane, or Bob? So uh, I do... Two of the scriptures I pray almost every single day with regard to decision-making individually and corporately with our uh, church family, however, are the book of Proverbs, of course, talks about how we make our plans and God orders our steps. Man, yeah. that's a part of my prayer life all the time. Father, I'm going to use all the sanctified common sense I have on this one. I am I am holding on to this. This makes all the sense in the world to me. Thank you that you order my steps. That's right. I'm going to do the work of planning. I'm going to try to do this in light of what you revealed in your scripture. So I pray that and also pray from the book of Revelation, that great image of knowing our Lord to be the one that opens doors no one can shut and the one who shuts doors that no man can open. Yeah. Man, Brian, I pray that every day as well, because it's a comfort to my heart to know I've got a God involved in my life first of all, who's never looking to find out what I enjoy to say, you can't do that anymore. Right. He, he wants the fatness of my heart to be far more my portion than I do. He just knows what that's going to look like. Yeah. And I can trust him for that. So I, I just don't, I don't think that, that there's 
an issue that Christians are more up in their heads about and confused about than the whole will of God thing. I agree. And I uh, I did a series on that a couple years ago and we got more feedback, more Q and a more, you know, so I think getting rid of that dot thing. Oh yeah. So important. God's got a sovereign will. God has a moral will and, uh, and everybody, you know, wants a word from God, but nobody really wants to be in the word of God. And I just think that's such a huge, huge problem. And, uh, and, and I think that we, you know, we spend so much time begging God for what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And he's like, I wrote like a pretty big book. You should check that out. Got a lot of things there. That's right. If you tend to these, the other stuff will take care of itself. That's right. So I would totally echo that. I think that that's so great. Scotty, I so appreciate your time and, uh, and your wisdom and, uh, and like Jack for you, you know, I walk away from this wanting to pray just as a result of our conversation. So thanks for encouraging us. I appreciate it. Great to be with you, Ryan. Oftentimes our feelings toward and perspective of prayer uh, is driven by the way that people have taught us about it. And oftentimes books and sermons and blog posts uh, that are on the topic of prayer, they leave us feeling guilty and discouraged. And what I love about Scotty is that I don't feel that way with him when I talk with him about prayer. My time with him makes me want to pray, and so I hope our conversation has the same impact on you. The easiest way to be blessed by Scotty in an ongoing way is to follow him on Twitter, so the link is in the show notes. Don't forget you can connect with me online as well by following me on Twitter and Instagram at at Ryan Hughley, and also on my blog at ryanhughley.com. That's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. We'll be back in just two days with episode number 12 in my conversation with author Joe Rigney. He's just written a new book called The Things of Earth, and it's all about how God intends us to enjoy what he's made. Until then, it's an honor to learn with you. I love you, and thanks for listening. Thank you.